He was a co-worker. He was a criminal. I didn't know that at the time that I was his friend. But I did know that he liked animals more than people. Animals, he said, are innocent. They can do you no harm. Not on purpose. At least not psychologically, not emotionally. She was my boss. She was a bitter woman. Everything she said was punctuated with rolling eyes. And something along the lines of, just forget about it. Whatever. Even if the sentence didn't deserve that. I mean, there was no context to it except that she was bitter. She wasn't a huge fan of people, it was clear, but she of course told me. People who love animals more than people. They like to state that explicitly. Because animals are so innocent, and people aren't. At least that's what they say. She was an advocate. She spent her days on the street in a small makeshift booth in New York. Yelling at passers-by to save the animals. There was an urgency in her face and a hurt behind the eyes. She liked animals more than people. She lived her life for them. A criminal, a bitter person, an activist on the street. What do they all have in common? Besides their placing animals before people? They were all actually really good to people. I mean, once you got to know them, they would do anything for you. They were very giving. If you needed something, there were no questions. Here it is. Or if they couldn't give what you needed, they would at least advocate for you. They would try. So the thing they had in common is that they didn't hate people. They didn't love animals more than people. They may have spent more of their time with animals purposely. I mean, clearly, if you're at work, you can't help but be at work with people unless you're working with animals. And at least two of them did work at shelters. But the point is, they, uh, they didn't hate all people. When you were in their inner circle, they loved you hard. I mean, not the love of the transcendental stuff that we've been talking about but in the screwed-up way that we commonly use the word love. In that way, they were really good at it. With people. So, they're lying to themselves about who they love and who they hate. And what might be more true for them and for all animal lovers who love animals more than people, because some of you are listening to this right now, and at least... Well, probably all of you. <laughs> I was going to say at least some, but probably all of you know someone who claims to love animals more than people. What is the issue here? The issue really is that they don't trust people. They have trust issues. Someone hurt them in life, or a bunch of people repeatedly hurt them in life. And now, in the case of my criminal friend, and even the bitter woman, now they're the ones who do the hurting. In the case of the advocate, they're the ones that do the protecting. Whichever side of that coin you fall on, being the bully or the advocate for the bullied, you're doing it out of the same trust issues. And certainly it is better to be an advocate for the bullied than to be a bully in this world. 
But at what point do we actually look at the thread in common between the two? Why they are, in fact, two sides of one coin. Is it enough to just say, be the best person you can be? Be the advocate. Don't be the bully. Don't go down that path. When the origin of that path, the architect building that path, is this hurt? Shouldn't we solve that hurt? Instead of putting that on animals and other people? But let's go a step deeper. Let's ask this. Why is it that we let our pets get away with things over and over again that we'd never allow children to get away with over and over again or any adults that we know? For example, my wife's and my cat, Oscar, now wakes us up at the crack of dawn for food and a lap. He never used to do this. He just one day, all of a sudden, it was actually after our other cat, Elvis, passed away uh, a few months ago. He started waking up at dawn. He no longer had a friend to play with because there is a third cat, Gracie, but she... Uh, she's too good for them. <laughs> she, she's her domain is the bed, and so they're not allowed up there. And and she says, "You guys can have the house. Who cares?" But now Elvis is gone, and so Oscar has no one to play with. Uh, once the light hits from the newly born sun, Oscar is up and awake and about and ready to greet the day. And so we better be too. Because there's no Elvis to play with. So he wants food. He wants to sit in a lap. These are his needs. But our needs are to sleep. (laughs) Right? And uh, no amount of ignoring him does the trick. And in fact, you you can hear him get frustrated and so frustrated. And then when you finally do feed him, if he's that frustrated, he ends up vomiting. Because he's just so... He's just so hurt in his own way. So we put up with this and we understand and we're sympathetic to it. Uh, He doesn't understand not to do that, right? And he won't grow out of it the way a child will. So we're stuck with this until either he decides to change his behavior or, or we're just stuck with it. And that's the thing, right? This is the thing about animals. This is the thing about pets is that we look at them and, and we realize that there's, in some ways, uh, there are things that they just can't understand. And so it's never their fault, which is what we mean when we say they're innocent. So there's something about understanding how you're affecting someone else that is the deciding factor in how we treat others. What we really crave from each other deep down is compassion, is caring. And again, animals are innocent because... We can't hold them to the same level of understanding as we hold each other, which is fine because they have their own understanding from within their own species that we will not partake in. Some of it we can understand. Maybe some of it we can't. Uh, But like clearly there's a hierarchy, you know, Gracie's the top cat. Uh, She likes to punch Oscar, sucker punch him from behind at breakfast just to show him who's boss and uh, rub up against him and make him lick her head when she feels like her fur is out of place, you know? <laughs> She's, that's, you know, we look at her and we laugh, and that's cute and all of that, but um, I'm sure Oscar isn't a fan. I'm sure he doesn't think she's so innocent. Um, and we can understand it, but we're not going to partake in that 
except to break it up if it gets too rowdy. You know, and maybe per- perhaps to them, you know, we're the innocents. Who knows? I sometimes wonder that when, uh, especially Gracie, when she goes to the kitchen, starts mewing for food, and we ignore her, and she runs over to us, and she meows, and we ignore her, and then she jumps up on the sofa and rubs her head up against your head and is all cuddling and purring and doing all of her manipulative tactics to try to get you to want to go pet her and feed her. She's doing all that and doing everything she can, and and she does it for a really long time. Uh, and sometimes she'll just end up sitting there and you'll forget that she's there, that she's behind you in the kitchen waiting for you. And like a half hour can go by of her just waiting for you silently, patiently. And you know, it's patient because sometimes she gets really upset and she'll just all of a sudden bolt and run around the house and jump off the cat tree and spring off the couch and put on a show and go scratch up a suitcase. She has this favorite suitcase that she likes to scratch. And scratch, 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 scratch. You know, why aren't you doing what I want you to do? But it takes a while to get there, usually. Uh, Usually there's a lot of patience. Perhaps the same amount of patience that we show them. You know, maybe she gets frustrated that we're so stupid that we can't figure it out. After all these years of her giving us the same signals, why can't we figure it out? But of course, we know what she doesn't, which is that We have figured it out. (laughs) But these cats aren't always nice, right? I mean, there's selfishness. There's, I want what I want when I want it. Right now, 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 now. And we would not put up with that from another person. It's just that we give them a lot more leeway because we don't see them as equals. And uh, so if you love animals, then you want to take care of them. So really... We want to be taken care of, and we want to care for others, but they won't let us. Those of us who love animals more than people. I mean, these are the things that we're telling ourselves, right? It's not really about the animal. Not really. It's about us. We're projecting. We're projecting because, again, we want caring from others. We want compassion from others. But we're not caring and compassionate, not in anything but the normal, superficial ways that we are, uh, ways that we can change our mind about, ways that we can choose to apply to animals and not people, or people and not animals, or nobody at all, only ourselves. Look at the levels of, of our behavior, of how we are in this world. There's an event in life, or a series of them, that shapes the way we we feel. And we say it shapes the way we feel about the outside world. We, we put it out there on others, animals and people. But it's really about how we feel about ourselves. Because if it were about them, we'd be leading by example, right? We'd be caring and compassionate to all others. I mean, we'd give what we want, right? We wouldn't just take our ball and run and go to animals and be like, oh, animals, they're great. No, so really, beyond even the events that shaped our emotions, uh, the thing that we are, are building on to create our conscious perspective is our own lack of compassion. 
our own lack of caring that we don't want to look at. We want to just say it was someone else. And it's obviously someone else because someone else hurt us. But it's also us. They just happen to press our buttons. But we've all got the buttons, right? So perhaps it would behoove us to deal with these buttons. <laughs> Who are we that feels hurt? What, what is this hurt person? I mean, pain seems self-evident. It seems like it is what it is, just uh, pain. And if you get rid of the cause of pain, then there's no more pain, except our metaphorical nerve endings still exist for more pain to happen. So why aren't we surgically removing them? <laughs> Not real nerve endings, mind you. Metaphorical nerve ending. But just like real nerve endings, you, you can't get rid of your metaphorical nervous system without getting rid of you. I mean, it's so much of your body, you would die without it. And so it is metaphorically. We would rather feel hurt and pain than understand the death of self, the annihilation of self. We would rather put it on other people than, than look at it in ourselves. We would rather say they're the bad guy than look at how we're the bad guy. Because once we have to look at who we are, in honesty, we're going to know that that person has to go. And I mean, not just to fix psychological issues one by one and make that person better. Um, I mean, certainly, I recommend that in life. Make you as, as healthy a psychological construct as you possibly can to be able to hear, to be able to understand fully what's being said here which is that necessarily that psychological entity has to dissolve. And it's not a self-sacrifice. It's simply being so meticulous, so healthy, and so caring that you have no choice but to understand that the seeker is in the way of the sought, and so the seeker must go. And in that understanding, the seeker does go. Not because of anything the seeker does, because that would be more seeking, right? So instead of looking outside of ourselves for the objects of our pain, instead of looking to past experiences for the inevitable, uh, the inevitability of more of our pain, just drawing on the past to project this future and, and then guarding against it and going, I don't want to feel that hurt ever again, so I'm never going to engage with people on that level ever again. I'm going to put it all in animals. Instead of doing that... Why don't we realize that we are also pain givers, not just pain receivers, that this is what we are and not run from it and not judge it, not get depressed about it, but just see it. Just see it. Everything we do is talking to ourselves about this one issue, this one thing that we're not whole. And yet society has repeated over and over again. Our parents have repeated over and over again that we never will be because what we have now is human nature. The corruption, the screwing up and apologizing, or the screwing up and not apologizing. <laughs> These are the things we're taught about, how to screw up and apologize and why that's important and why people are bad when they screw up and don't apologize. But we never confront the fact that 
maybe we're not a species that needs to screw up or apologize. <laughs> maybe that mind isn't the full mind of the human. Maybe it is a phase that we are stuck in because we've allowed ourselves to be. Because this thought construct, this construct of the brain called the self, called me, because it looks and feels and behaves as though it is different from its other thoughts, therefore it thinks it's not thought, believes it's something separate, that it believes it's in control and is going through life in control. And that is the base core power that you have in life. We've talked about power and the lust for power. Well, the main power you have in life is to say, I am. Not in the big transcendental I am experience way. Um, just say it and live accordingly. And defend your yourself. Yourself is your territory. Defend your territory against anyone who would tell you otherwise. Inoculate yourself from wisdom with knowledge. Say there is no such thing as immutable truth because that's dictatorship. That's judgmental. Everyone's paradigm is relative and just fine the way it is. And, uh, Deny your true nature, because your true nature feels as though it's in opposition to you. It's not in opposition to you. It is you, whether you know it or not, whether you deny it or not. Perhaps the other attractive thing about animals is that they don't have this problem. They are who they are. They're acting accordingly. And sometimes we feel animals are more spiritual than people because of it, right? But that really is, again, your own longing, your own sense of what's missing in you. And you're just putting that feeling onto animals because you don't feel it for yourself, in yourself, as yourself. So you put it out there and then you long for it. And it's the same thing that we do with ideals. We put it out there and we long for it and we say, well, those are ideals. Well, let's strive to be that but never get there. Let's, be, let's strive to be Jesus, strive to be Buddha, strive to be... Go down the list and never get there. Because that's not us. That's out there, which creates this longing. But the longing isn't just some desire. The longing is that you are that. And so you're screaming to yourself, but I am that. It isn't out there. And, and yet the very person you're screaming at, yourself, is blocking it out. The wholeness of you. The partial self blocks out the wholeness. Knowledge blocks wisdom. Thought denies consciousness. Whoa. But you thought thought was consciousness. No, thought is a tool. But like a Frankenstein's monster, this tool believes it is consciousness. There are people at work, hard at work in Silicon Valley right now, trying to wake up robots, right? Make them sentient. Make them just like us. That's only us talking to ourselves about what we've done. We're telling our own story there. We are like those sentient robots. We don't understand our full aliveness. We can comprehend it. We can compute it logically, but, but we don't live as it. It's 
not a first-person identity experience as wholeness. And the problem is we've gotten so comfortable with all of our doing. We've made a great spectacle of ourselves. We're just, we're loved with the, with the things that we've immersed ourselves in from our own minds. And because we have this great ability to imagine and create, to do great artwork, to do great music, to build giant buildings, whatever it is that we do, we're amazed with ourselves. And so we think, God, can it get any better than this? I mean, on some level we do. We do think that, right? Uh, like if, if just, if you listening to this are a music aficionado, ask yourself, could you live without music? Could you live without video games, without television, without the computer, without art? Um, and I don't mean just live. I mean, could you be satisfied without these things or would you be bored in life? Because I think you, your answer, if you're honest, is going to be that you'd be bored you have to find things to do. If we took away the things that you do currently or that you enjoy currently because we've put our enjoyment into our own doing, our sense of what we enjoy and what we like and what we don't like revolves around us. But I'm going to tell you something that I've said before, probably on OurUndoing.com, definitely in my book Urgency, which is that when I went through my period of uh, being a heart person when the brain self completely dissolved and I died into heart, as it were, one of the lasting effects of that is that I never get bored. I can listen to music. I can play video games. I can watch movies and TV. Here I am on the computer. But I don't need these things. They don't fulfill me in any way. In fact, they seem rather trite, even the great artworks. And this was not the case before. But the reason is because you're fulfilled inside, you're satiated. And I wonder if this isn't one of the things that first attracted Teokas and Ghost Horse and I to each other. Um, because he was the first person I've ever heard say that out loud except me. But he was talking from the Lakota perspective. Uh, that the Lakota don't do all of this artwork, this self-expression artwork. It just holds nothing for them. And that language is, uh, you know, the written word is actually from an immature mind. And, you know, he says all of these things that formerly in my former life and as a writer, I would have been like, what, what, what? But I completely understood what he was saying because I was at that place. Um, I knew exactly where he was coming from. It wasn't just, he wasn't just saying things to challenge me or challenge the audience at the time uh, that he was speaking to. He was saying how they see the world and what they do and don't need. Art has its function, but it is a function. It's not this, this blathering self-expression that we, you know, throw on the canvas and then go, look, everyone, this is my, this is my insides. <laughs> and, uh, and then we all go, oh, that's amazing. Gosh, uh, the way that clock drips from, that really means something. I mean, it, it just, it, it's a weird thing to think about. Like if I just sit back and think about, right, artwork, dancing, music, these things used to consume me. 
I used to be amazed by them and writing and all that. And um, now I don't have a feeling one way or the other. I can appreciate them. I can go, oh, that's really nice. Uh, I understand from a technical point of view, at least the subjects that I'm, you know, proficient in or whatever, uh, what makes them good or bad uh, by consensus or, you know, all that. But if I never look at them, if I never hear them, if I never write again, I'm fine because I am unshakably contented. Now, I'm not saying this to brag or to give you something to uh, strive to to obtain or be. And in fact, most people I've said that to still think it sounds awful. So I know it doesn't even sound like something that is bragging or that you'd want to obtain. It sounds boring. Ugh, a world without art and music. And, ugh, I would just die. You are a thought construct, and you love other thought constructs. But you're not real, not as the controller. That controlling factor is a disorder. It's not proper order. There is proper order to you, and you're not living it. And when that's the case, sticks and stones break your bones and names hurt you. And so, you, controlling factor that you are, Take what little love you have and you place it into something. Animals. You think it's this possession that you can just give and take as you wish. Because it's not you. When love isn't you, isn't your being, isn't radiating in and as you, then it is a facsimile of love and you can do whatever you want with it. It might as well be artwork. It might as well be a sculpture. It might as well be a love song. It might as well be that dolphins understand you better than people do. Well, actually, come to think of it, dolphins might.